Hello and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer-engineer, and I'm David Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college, an originator and sometimes host of Tops 10. Today, I have with me Dr. Juan Sanchez Munoz. Dr. Munoz is the Senior Vice President for Institutional Diversity, Equity, and Community Engagement and Vice Provost for Undergraduate Education and Student Affairs. As the Senior Vice President and Vice Provost, Dr. Munoz serves on the President's Administrative Council, the Provost Staff, the Dean's Council, Academic Council, Strategic Council, Strategic Enrollment Planning Council, and the Chair of the Texas Tech University System Outreach and Engagement System Priority. So pretty much any meeting across campus at any time, you must attend. And or be late for. That's right. Dr. Munoz earned a BA in psychology from the University of California, Santa Barbara. After returning from military service in the United States Marine Corps during the 1991 Gulf Crisis, he attended California State University, Los Angeles, where he earned an MA in Mexican-American studies with an emphasis in literature and literary theory. So one of, you're one of the people who have a degree in literary theory that is gainfully employed. That's pretty yes, impressive. There's yeah, three of us. He earned his doctorate of philosophy from the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, where he studied curriculum and instruction in the Division of Urban Schooling. Welcome, Dr. Juan Munoz. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, Juan, I, I met you very early on campus here, and I, I noticed a couple of things about you outwardly. One is that you're extremely well-spoken and you're extremely well sartorially gifted. You, you, you have set a fashion trend on campus. You wear a pocket chief or a square, as yes. it's sometimes known. Now, coming from uh, the Marine Corps, you learned how to be tidy, right? Uh, no, I'd, credit, I'd certainly credit some of it to the Marine Corps, not necessarily before the Marine Corps. You, you had to pack light and uh, you have to move uh, swiftly, and so um, you don't appreciate it at the time when you're sort of being inculcated with those kinds of personal values of being, you know, tidy and tight. And you know, there used to be this poster uh, that you would see very often when I served, and the poster said, if someone accused you of being a Marine, would there be enough evidence to find you guilty? And it would ask you to check your pants and your blousing and your buckle, and was it scratched and your haircut? And so, you know, I think, I think, uh, Eventually, it just sort of, you know, it, it permeates your thinking, and I think I've carried it over accidentally. For me, uh, when I grew up, being well-dressed meant having a clean white T-shirt. Most of the men, that's their, that was their version of a dressed up, a clean white T-shirt. Where did you grow up? I grew up in East Los Angeles in Boyle Heights. Boyle Heights uh, was a very interesting part of East Los Angeles. It's uh, considered by many the heart of East Los Angeles. It, it's named Boyle Heights because it was populated by many migrants, immigrants from uh, mostly around New York. Uh, that uh, transplanted themselves to the West Coast uh, because of the weather. In fact, the uh, the oldest synagogue in the city, I believe, is on Breed Street in East Los Angeles. And so, but East Los Angeles uh, is a, is large and geographically large, and so more more uh, specifically, Boyle Heights. Your neighborhood was it mixed, or were there mostly families from your background? There? Well, it was. In- it's interesting if you study the history of Boyle Heights. It was very very uh, heterogeneous. There were Armenians, there were Japanese, many Jews. 
there were Italians. Uh, there was a fellow by the name of Don Nakanishi, who's a professor at uh, UCLA in his area's Asian studies. Don Nakanishi, uh, Dr. Nakanishi, grew up in uh, East Los Angeles. He had a, a bit of a tenure problem at UCLA, and it was interesting because a significant block of Mexican-American legislators that had grew up with him, Don Nakanishi, in East Los Angeles came to his uh, support and defense. And so it used to be very heterogeneous. But over time, it's become increasingly more and more Mexican, first-generation Mexican, recent arrivals from Mexico. And so it was a little bit more mixed. I, I grew up, and my godfather across the street was Harold Brenna. Uh, Harold was Jewish. He was uh, raised in Chicago. He enlisted at uh, 17 to fight in the Second World War. He was in the Navy. And um, Harold used to tell me stories about uh, the rest of the country and about being American and, and about serving his country. And um, Harold took me to my first motion picture. He took me to see Star Wars. He took me to get my first cheeseburger at a restaurant. It was the Hamburger Hamlet. And so uh, he passed away a few years ago, but he was a tremendous influence and he wasn't Mexican-American. And um, uh, so he told me about the neighborhood and his wife, little Ruth, uh, lived next door. And so there was a very active community of people from different parts of the country and different faiths. And um, so it was a great place to grow up. I know it's a little rougher today, but uh, it was a very interesting place to grow up. You, you learn to be very resilient. You learn to be very resourceful. You learn to be very physically active. You know, we walked and we rode our bikes and we did those kinds of things more so than I think young people do today. There wasn't great fear about something happening to you per se, uh, other than you know maybe crossing the street and getting knocked over by a car or something. But it, it was a great place to grow up, and you learn to be very self-reliant, very self-sufficient, very resourceful. And I'll tell you something else that I just I, I think also you mentioned the Marine Corps that really helped me in the Marine Corps and later on and even in my own career right now at Tech um, and the things I do on the campus as well as serving in uh, other capacities for the city and boards and what have you. But this idea of sort of loyalty and this idea of integrity. See, because in the neighborhood that I grew up in, if you said something, you had to back it up. If you said something critical about somebody, there was a good chance uh, somebody's cousin was going to come knock on your door that night and say, you know, what did you say? Uh, if you gave your word to do something, you'd better carry it out uh, one way or the other, or somebody was going to remind you of your earlier pledge. And so some of the reasons that I these songs resonate with me is because they remind me of that era, that time. Those were very formative years for a lot of us. And, uh, and I, I think that there's uh, indications of how we've carried forward those those sort of ideas and those principles and those values into our uh, adult lives and again back to the music and so these these songs remind me of some of those principles and some of those values and the moments at which they were sort of inculcated in me well it sounds like you grew up in an area where you learned very early apropos of what your present job is that there was value in listening to people who weren't you. I wouldn't say necessarily human nature, but it's certainly part of our evolutionary biology that we, you know, for most of human history, we tended, we were in very small groups, mm -hmm. you know, no more than 20, 20 people. And uh, it, the idea of being in large communities, you know, urbanization is relatively recent in human history. It only goes back about five or 6,000 years. So it's only been a very short time we've had to live with people who didn't look exactly like us, who didn't sound like us, who didn't maybe even have some of the same ideas and worship the same gods as us. That's correct. And the experiment is still, it's still out there. It's still evolving. <laughs> it's, yes. it's, it's worked out well sometimes and badly uh, some other times. 
your first song, and in fact, quite a number of your songs are from people who I guess you could call the mainstream, but you wouldn't necessarily associate with somebody mm-hmm. of, of your background. So it sounds like you very early on, song number one for you was Stairway to Heaven, which is often listed as like most popular rock song. The greatest rock of, song. Of all time. Of all time. When did you first hear Stairway to Heaven? Uh, many of these songs will be influenced by my older brother, Henry. And my brother, Henry, uh, was a different kind of bird. Uh, he's a very successful businessman with a third, a three-year high school diploma. And by successful, I mean extraordinarily successful. And early on, he was one of uh, the only member of my family and the only person we I ever heard of that went to, uh, he was re- recommended to go to, to a very private, at the time we considered it very private elite military school in a seventh and eighth grade. When he went to that school, he was exposed to dramatically different people than those that he knew growing up where we grew up. At that time, he was exposed to a great deal of different music and literature and aspirations and views of the world. So when he came back home, he would live there, which uh, for a Catholic Mexican family to put one of your children somewhere else to board, it was unheard of. It was, but Henry was very different. He was very uh, ambitious. He was very aspirational. So when he came back from that boarding school, St. Catherine's Military Institute, he had very different views of the world, and he brought this music home with him. And I remember hearing Led Zeppelin, um, a lot of their different albums and what have you. But because we were Catholic, right, this particular song and what it, what it, what it intimates, what it implies and, and um, you know, heaven and redemption and, and being aspirational. It reminds me of my brother Henry. It reminds me when he left. It reminds me how sad we were. It reminds me how proud we were when we saw him. He was, he was the only Mexican boy in that eighth grade graduating class. He was so proud. And walking tall he had a little uniform and a little hat and he had only been there a few years and he had distinguished himself and so uh, the nuns and the principals there said there's something different about this boy of yours I remember them telling my parents because I had to translate or one of my brothers and sisters had to translate and uh, my brother Henry has always been like that but this song reminds me of when he left and when he came back and how he was different and he's he's always been a little different and how he remained different and how he talked about the world and I I actually, I'll tell you, I actually applied to that school. They invited me to take a test uh, to see if I was permissible or eligible, which I did, and I was invited. I was invited to go to the school. It would have been financially very, very burdensome. We would have had to get scholarships from the school. My parents couldn't afford it. And and uh, my brother Henry told me, hey, you're not going to go there. That's what he said. He goes, you're not going to go to St. Catharines. I said, well, why? He goes, I don't want you to go there. And I, and I said, well, why? You went there. Uh, I want to go there because you went there. And he goes, it's not a good place for you. They'll hurt you. I didn't know what he meant, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it would have been lonely. I'm, I'm sure he was lonely. Uh, I'm sure that there were times where it was difficult, but uh, I never forgot that how he tried to insulate me in his own little 13-year-old way. And this song reminds me of that whole sort of epoch and period and, and uh, my brother trying to protect me and uh, trying to help me get to my own personal stairway, you know, to heaven. There's a lady who's sure All that glitters is gold And she's buying the stairway to heaven When she gets there she knows If the stars are all closed With a word she can get what she can Ooh, 
song and again i i'm not sure i now that i know you now in, you in, like in a two, hurricane you gotta know that one 2014 i i have a hard time picturing you driving down the street one maybe because you're just so you'd give off such a distinguished personality <laughs> bopping your head going rock you like a hurricane sure. by the scorpions if it's not the scorpions it'll be led uh, the deaf leopard uh well i i was uh i grew up in the in the early 70s i suppose the 80s and so i think i'm i'm fundamentally a long hair rocker or at least a sort of a recovered long hair rocker uh redeemed long hair rocker i grew up in the era of deaf leopard motley crew white snake twisted sister and Obviously, every, most people know about the, the uh, Woodstock, right, and famous Woodstock. Well, in the 80s, there was, of course, the equivalent or the attempted equivalent called the Us Festival. It, was, it happened for two years. It was a three-day festival of music. Um, one day, they had sort of Duran Duran and kind of emerging avant-garde music, and then they had a music of uh, sort of a country or something like that. And then the third day was hard rock, and it was people like Ozzy Osbourne. It was people like Judas Priest breaking the law breaking the law judas priest and and the scorpions they closed and i was there and i was probably in eighth or ninth grade uh it's astounding to me as i think about it it was a it was a hard weekend we went with my compadre charlie his brother jaime took us in the back of their truck no seat no seat belts it was a couple of hundred and fifty thousand uh, uh, the most irresponsible people po you could possibly mass in one location and it was utterly memorable and, and the Scorpions were there and they played uh, you know Rocky like a hurricane and, and uh, that's exactly what they did to about 150,000 people <laughs> So what is wrong with another sin? Now, this kind of music, did it make a strong impression on your parents? I'm sure, was there music in your house? And I'm, I'm willing to bet your parents weren't playing Rocky like a hurricane. No, it's interesting. Uh, 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 my parents were born in Mexico, and so they didn't speak uh, English very much. Uh, they can certainly 
communicate in a very uh, sort of uh, basic fundamental way, but uh, they weren't fluent at all or, com or comfortable. So most of the music at our home had to do were, were, were rancheras, what are called rancheras, uh, uh, music, um, you know, what people mostly associate with mariachis. And that's what we listened to. And a lot of this music in, in, in my life was introduced vis-a-vis -vis my brother Henry. And then as I became, uh, as I uh, got older, uh, friends around the neighborhood, we weren't listening to mariachi. We wanted to very much, it's interesting, it was sort of a bit of a counterculture in, in, in a predominantly Mexican community. We didn't want to listen to mariachis. We didn't want to listen to corridos. We didn't want to listen to Lidia Mendoza. We didn't want to listen uh, to conjuntos. We wanted to listen to Led Zeppelin, Def Leppard, uh, Motley Crue, Twisted Sister, Van Halen. Uh, and uh, we wanted to very much identify ourselves with you know, the American part of being Mexican-American. How did your parents react to this music that you they were bringing into the house? Well, I think, I think they, 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 these Mexicans... Do they think it, it, it's like, well, good, you know, he's learning the, American ways, or, no, or, oh my God, no, this no, is Satan's no. personal... <laughs> Well, see, kidnapping of our son. They couldn't they, because they didn't speak English very well. Obviously, oh. they didn't understand oh, the I lyrics. Yeah, yeah. So when you were listening to uh, Black Sabbath, yeah, uh, or Ozzy Osbourne, or uh, you or just told Rio, me this is religious music. Sure, sure, sure. You yeah. told them this is like Stairway to Heaven. Hey, yeah, it's heaven in the title. Yeah, and so, uh, but uh, mostly, I think my boy Juan is—he's such a good boy. He's very, <laughs> a very, very faithful child. You know? <laughs> this is Stairway to yeah. Heaven. And so, uh, I think they probably had the same reaction. Uh, that American parents had when we stopped when they stopped listening to big bands and started listening to uh, Elvis and uh, Buddy Holly and the Beatles, uh, they dismissed it. Oh, this is a fad. This won't last. Uh, Duke Ellington's here forever. Well, I think that they were dismissive. But another thing, you, I mean, you certainly weren't blaring it at the house. Uh, we had radios and we had eight-track cassettes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, we, I think we listened to it, not, not in isolation, but we certainly didn't flaunt it in front of our parents. And uh, I have friends who grew up in houses with a lot of music and dancing, and uh, my parents weren't like that. They were very reserved people. They were Catholics. They were, uh, they were Guadalupanas. They were Cursistas. They were part of religious orders, and they were very— Now, explain some of those to me. Well, there, there, there are different religious orders in the Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady yeah. of Guadalupe, and so that there's an order, a maternal order of women that sort of revere the Virgin Mother in a certain way, and they have their processions, and they're called Guadalupanas. And then uh, there's a group of men, and they're called Cursistas, and uh, they do retreats and things like that, and it comes uh, out of the Cristero conflict in Mexico, and and uh, they just it's just a way to sort of express their devout f faith and what have you. And so uh, I grew up in that sort of environment, and uh, you know, like most teenagers, rejected it to some extent. But but that's the kind of thing that was happening at the house. It wasn't. We weren't listening to Aldo Nova. You know, life is just a fantasy. Uh, but my brother was, and then my friends were, and eventually you were, and you were singing it. And those are the songs that you be. I didn't identify with Duran Duran. You know, Hungry Like a Wolf. Uh, -uh. I didn't uh, identify with sort of that kind of avant-garde music from the you know the Men Down Under. These musics that had sort of a hard edge to it, a hard gritty edge to it and then eventually your appetites for music change a little bit as you do your next song actually is from an album uh, the song is don't look back from boston and it's from the their 
debut album, That's which right. I remember as the first mega rock mega album rock. I ever listened to. Sure. I mean, I remember buying that album. Of course, everybody has that album. And uh, I don't know if I still have it, but I listened to that, wore it out. Right. Uh, they were just... Remember the cover, the, the, the spaceship? Spa- spaceship yeah. guitars. Yeah. and And they had a concert tour, where I think, which broke every every record. They were just the biggest ever, ever. You know, for a while. I mean, at that time, I don't think... I think they had a one... One other album. And, and then... Then, and then they weren't very good in concert, unlike Rush, for example, right? Rush is extraordinary in concert. They're great in the studio. Uh, Boston had that rap. They were uh, incredible in the studio. Everybody in our sort of generation owns that album, remembers opening the plastic, sort of like a Kiss album. I mean, there's probably a bunch of Kiss songs I could have put on here, too. And you remember taking out the plastic, and, and, and it, was it a single album or a double album? And you remember reading the lyrics. It was sort of like a big book and you would follow along the song reading the lyrics and you'd see who wrote the song who produced the song and you had some greater affinity now it's all cds and you don't have that experience it's all it was almost like opening a christmas present and see what wonders sort of the the album uh, contained yeah i I remember listening to the uh, chords of more than i was trying to learn the guitar that's right and i was thinking that that was up there i mean i i remember having an it wasn't an argument with my father, but just I was pointing out, you know, the more than a feel. Right. The, the, I, I said, you know, this is about as big as Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. <laughs> the, the, the notes there, the famous, you the know, dun, 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 um, right. um, I'm getting that wrong, Fifth Symphony. And I remember him looking at me like, yeah, it, it sounds interesting. You know, of course, yeah. he, he'd come from 50s right. rock, so he had some uh, he had some connection uh, yeah. there, too. But was this one of the and, times you realized music could be huge? <laughs> well, everybody was listening to Boston, and obviously, I mean, most of us didn't even know where Boston was. You, you know, it, it had that, uh, you know, unusual album cover and the colors and, and, the, and the different kinds of music that was so uplifting. You know, these kids uh, today, they have that little text sort of acronym uh, you only live once Olo right you only live once this was our 70 version I think my friends and I don't look back hey whatever happened back there is gone you only live once look in the future you know give it all you got we're trying to move forward and and you know when you grow up around certain kind of um, uh, difficulties poverty uh, violence uh, drugs a lot of guys getting out of jail you see it every day People that know me know that I always tell the story about having a car. I grew up in a household where we had a car. It didn't have reverse. So the transmission reverse did wow, not so work. Literally, literally do, don't, look had, back. don't look back. Don't look back because if you put it in reverse, you can't go back there anyway. So This, this was, was not an original feature of the no, car, right? Was just... this, was a, this was an upgrade. This was an option. <laughs> Along with the vinyl seats, you could just omit re- reverse. Yeah. And uh, so in that car, I remember we'd have to park it very carefully only in front of a driveway. Right, so you knew that there wasn't gonna be a car in front of you so you could pull out. Otherwise, we'd have to get out and put it in reverse or neutral and push it back. You, you do not still own that car, right? No, no, I don't. It was a, it was a, it was a, I think a Ford Fury. It was a Fury 3. It was a long four-door, horrible green, uh, hunter green uh, car. It was, uh, but when you're driving around, and this is your daily driver, and uh, you don't have reverse, you don't wanna look back uh, to that circumstance and you want to keep moving forward.
next song is Reason by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Come on. It's a classic. It's a, it's a beautiful ballad, um, love story. My brothers, I had two older brothers, and they were always men that were just about four or five years older than my brothers, who were about five or six years older than I was. And uh, they were part of that late 60s, early 70s rhythm and blues, and they were always listening to the Commodores, a little, you know, they were uh, some of them were cholos, right? They were thugs, right? So this low and slow ballad. Tranquilo, a, a kickback homes. Uh, they were always listening to this sort of music with lower tempo. They 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 did not want to hear "Rock You Like a Hurricane." They did not want to hear Boston. They were not enamored with Black Sabbath, uh, hard rock, edgy rock. They were right. You know, they they did it low and they did it slow, and they did it to the tunes of Otis Redding's and. Earth, wind, and fire, and that and that sort of tempoed music, and so I, I have vivid memories of that kind of music in the background. And of course, you know, when you became a little older, and and you maybe had somebody that you were interested in, uh, you, you didn't want to play uh, uh, some of these songs necessarily, uh, like rock you like a hurricane when you were trying to, you know, press, you know, make a case for, you know, why she should spend time with you. So reasons was much more ap- appropriate. So there's a reason for <laughs> there reason. was a reason. <laughs> And, you know, anybody is sort of, uh, when I drive with my sons, I have three boys, a 15-year-old. One of them wanted to come here. He's very clever. He would have been good on the show. And uh, so they're 15, 13, and 8. And as we drive and I play some of these songs from my phone, I'll always ask them, hey, who is this? Who is this? They'll have to say Elvis or they'll have to say Sinatra or they'll have to say Boston. I ask them over and over. And and I know in time, in 40 years from now, they'll have – these songs playing in their, the, mem- the background of their memories, uh, driving with their dad, going to California to see their grandma, their, see their, their cousins, and these music and these songs, uh, Stairway to Heaven, Earth, Wind, and Fire. The reason, Daddy, why do you play, Papi, why do you play that song over and over? I go, Mio, are you asking me the reasons that I play this song, Mio? Are you really asking me that? Oh, Papi, why do you have to take it that far? I'm craving your body. Just rising, I don't want to feel I'm in the wrong place to be real Oh, and I'm longing to love you just for a night Kissing and hugging and holding you tight Please let me love you with all my Your sons, uh, I mean, they'll they'll put up with your music, or they have to put they, up with they, their... they, both. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, but what's interesting? I was just uh, I was in Lagrange, Texas, down by Fayetteville and Austin this weekend with my oldest boy. 
and I could tell it was a long trip, about seven hours driving, and I could tell that he was becoming uh, sort of bored and, and frustrated. And so there's a there's a cord that you could plug plug in for auxiliary music in the car, and and I took out the cord. I go, well, why don't, why don't you put your music in? Yet they always thought this. Go, you know, you're already sort of bummed out. Uh, you're tired of, of, you know, Otis Redding and and uh, you know, I play a little Selena and a little Intocables and a little, you know, Van Halen. And I'll, I'll play rap too because I grew up in that era when rap became very, very popular. And I'll play a lot of boogie down production with KRS-One, and and. He'll get bored. So I said, why don't you put your music? And it's, 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 it's amazing. As soon as they're listening to their music, so they might have like seven songs. So I'll have like 1,700. They'll have seven songs. And they'll listen to those seven songs for seven hours. It's like the seventh song, the seventh hour of the seventh, you know, it's sort of, you know, then the meteor's coming. And, uh, and, 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 and his whole demeanor changes. His whole demeanor changed. When he plays that song by uh, Eminem, the Eight Mile song, he'll hear that thing for 143 miles. So some of these, I think, some of this human reaction, you t- you know, uh, to music, uh, I think, I think, transcends a generation. It's just different for them. Yeah, there's a interesting research in sociology that I've I've used in some of my work on generational preferences, but it basically says then that their cultural tastes are locked in by about late 20s and and never change and so we listen to the music that we learn to love in in our teens and 20s and and then that's pretty much what we like and i and i've and certainly in my case you know uh bob seeger and and bruce springsteen i'm still listening listening to to them or or i thought about putting born in the usa here that's right yeah but uh which of course I've always thought it's going to be very interesting in uh, nursing homes in the future because you know, <laughs> as the gen- there's, there's already talk about you know the big band generation in nursing homes is giving away to the '60s generation, and you know at some point they're going to be playing uh, Wu Tan Clan in oh. nursing homes because that, oh. and you know the the young attendants are going to go, I can't believe you listen to this old stuff, you know. So uh, we'll see yeah. as as that changes. That that was I I think that'd be interesting to talk. I don't, my my girls are not. Um, Yet, uh, you know, carrying around their own music and 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 imposing it on, on us, but I, I wonder if they would listen to the same song a hundred times or something. I certainly have been able to listen to the same some of these songs. Like I mean, I've, I've, heard, I've easily have heard "Stairway to Heaven" five hundred times. Sure, you know, of course, you in have. some kind. And anytime it's playing, I'll that's stop a, and listen to that's it. That's probably a conservative estimate. Yeah. and and so it's it's interesting because I can do the same thing, and yet when I hear him listening to something, I'm trying to mm. recall. Uh, a song other than that Eminem song that he was listening to over and over I find it obnoxious and yet I'm sure I've done the exact so you both survived the trip yes we did yeah made it back yeah in good form you didn't drop him off in mule shoe and (laughs) drive off or something no I thought Jailhouse Rock by Elvis Presley and it's hard for anybody to imagine now because the memory of Elvis for anybody under the age of 40 is filtered by his Las Vegas years, some of the drug issues, things like that. The rhinestone. B- right. The rhinestone but era. Wa- watching him in his early career, mm-hmm. like Ed Sullivan or something like that, it, it's hard for us to, to visualize. I mean, I, I didn't, Elvis wasn't on my radar because I grew up in the 60s and it was just, it was just I'd moved rock had moved on by then but the phenomenon of Elvis as a young young rock and roller yeah. playing this new music was just 
beyond the Beatles. Was oh, absolutely. I mean, that's my opinion. I I I, I enjoy the Beatles, but uh, I don't believe that the Beatles. Uh, affected rock and roll culture in america to the extent that elvis did i my uh my kids know i i i always call elvis the king and when i was growing up my godfather harold brenna used to play a lot of elvis he grew up listening to elvis and talking about elvis and i remember my brothers hearing a little bit of their music not so much my brothers but oh um, but my godfather and then seeing his, 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 obviously, his movies. I mean, this was a renaissance man. I mean, I know uh, many people have images of him later in life, uh, not quite as fit, obviously the big caller, sort of retired performing in Vegas, the rhinestones and uh, his tragic sort of death, uh, uh, quite young. But in, in his prime, in his youth, uh, yeah, I mean, it was beyond the gyration, uh, what he did musically, the, 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 the lyrics uh, that he wrote often, uh, the, how he connected them, how they resonated with people how they captured the ethos of a whole generation uh, it's remarkable and and to see him and he was not a bad actor I mean, he was not a bad actor. I mean, uh, you know, he he, he wasn't, uh, you know, uh, They put Olivier. him in a lot of he, there was vehicles. Olivier. That's right. You know, That's right. But, but you see Kid Galahad, and you yeah. think, hey, he might be able to get in that ring and, and, and squab a little bit. And you see him with Barbara uh, Sedgwick, you know, uh, cowboy movies. And, and uh, I mean, he was versatile. And he was impressive. And, and he was handsome. And he had dark hair. See? And Mexicanos, we have dark hair. And so you would see him, and you think, well, pues, you know, maybe, maybe. Maybe there's, you know, a little bit right there. Presley could be Perez, quien sabe. And so uh, you listen to uh, his music is timeless. You, you'll watch uh, m- uh, movies today and they'll have his songs in the movies um, as background songs and what, what have you, background lyrics. And so for me, Jailhouse Rock, where I grew up, again, there were a lot of guys going in and there were a lot of guys coming out. And you would you would always hear it would, it would sound just like this, David. They say, "Hey, uh, hey, Shorty, hey, Holmes, hey, hey, where's your brother? El Sasuke, bro. He's gonna Sasuke. He's away. He's away, right? You didn't say, "Hey, where is he? Well, he's at Lompoc. He's doing six months." Right? They would just say he's away, like he's working, like, like he's, you know, on some excursion, like he's on some research project. No, no, They would say, hey, Shorty, hey, Sasuke, where's your brother? Shady, bro. Haven't seen him around. Oh, you know what? He's away. When's he coming back? Like six to eight months. And this wasn't spring break. They were no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. This wasn't spring break. Walking through a party in the county jail. The prison band was there, they began to wail. The band was jumping and the joint began to swing. You should have heard you knocked out jailbird sing that
Now, Elvis had something in common with your next singer, uh, Frank Sinatra, the chairman of the board, and, and growing up, as I, I did for part of my life in the East Coast, I listened to a lot of Sinatra, Philadelphia area. There's still a show there, I believe, Fridays with Frank and Saturdays with, with <laughs> Sinatra. My parents listened to Sinatra. Right. I remember reading about how Sinatra took very, very seriously uh, the creation of his music. I mean, he would do take after take. He would bring in the best sound engineers, the best writers. He wanted everything to be just right. And and one of the reasons I think his music has survived... Uh, is because he just did every everything was done perfectly, right. and some of the other singers of his time, maybe th- maybe they just simply didn't pay as much uh, attention to it. Your song is young at heart. I mean, for Sinatra, I guess you, for our generation, you could pick five hundred songs. Right. You know, why young at heart? Well, Sinatra, uh, I think your description is very uh, apropos. He was uh, he was meticulous he, uh, as an actor, as a musician, in his business interest. He was a very serious man, and he grew up in a very serious era. And what most people don't know is there was a period of time where his career was not just stalled, it was in free fall. One of the things that he did was survive until uh, his motion picture career took off, as well as his music began to gain traction again. But there was a decade, decade and a half period where he was very much out of favor. And so for me, uh, this song, uh, more, more the character of Sinatra and the way he lived his life. You know, he was famous for saying, I don't apologize for my friends who were there for me when no one else was. Uh, as I said earlier, that, I, that these sort of principles of loyalty, of integrity, uh, for me, those are very valuable how you carry yourself, not just when people are watching, but uh, when you're with your private self. And so all of his music I enjoy. Uh, The commissioner of higher education in the state of Texas is a fellow by the name of Raymond Paredes. Raymond Paredes was a professor at UCLA for almost 30 years. I was his graduate student. I was his graduate student in English courses as well as in Chicano studies. And Raymond was a fan of Sinatra and jazz and that era of music. And that's how I became exposed to Sinatra and began to understand his life and career well before the Rat Pack. And so uh, the seriousness of the work we do in higher education can be can be overwhelming. And so Young at Heart uh, is a song that to me reminds me of graduate school. It was a period where uh, I was transitioning away from being a very young man uh, into graduate school, into thinking about my professional identity, my vocational identity, becoming an emerging scholar, seeing somebody like Dr. Paredes, at the time Vice Chancellor Paredes, hoping to one day emulate the things that he had accomplished while remaining young at heart while remaining young with the enthusiasm and the optimism of what we hope to do in higher education uh, with the discipline and the meticulousness of a Sinatra. Fairy tales can come true It can happen to you If you're young at heart For it's hard you will find To be narrow of mind If you're young at heart You can go to extremes With impossible schemes You can laugh when your dreams Fall apart at the seams 
And life gets more exciting with each passing day And love is either in your heart or on its way Don't you know that it's worth every treasure on earth To be young at heart For as rich as you are, it's much better by far To be young at heart And if you should survive to a hundred and five Look at all you'll derive out of being alive And here is the best part You have a head start If you are among the very young at heart Now, you talked about integrity and loyalty. You joined the Marine Corps. Was that something you, you backed into? Was that something you chose? I was always influenced by my godfather, Harold, talking about how he had to, how he had to uh, have his mother sign for him to enlist uh, because he was under 18. Harold would tell me uh, this story, and I'll share it with you. Harold was Jewish, and uh, he he was uh, uh, in the Navy and was on a naval transport ship, and they were ferrying the prisoners of war from North Africa, mostly members of Rommel's mechanized force in uh, Northern Africa. And I would ask Harold when I was a young boy, uh, I would spend a lot of time, he had, he had stamp collections, I'm talking about thousands of stamps. He had a pipe collection, hundreds of pipes. He had model planes, many model planes, and we would always go over his stamps and planes and he would tell me stories. And I'd say, Harold, did you know what was happening in Europe? Did you know? Uh, did you know what was being done? And he said, Juan, we knew what they were doing to our people. And I'd say, Harold, did you ever want to retaliate again on these prisoners who were, you know, very much vulnerable? And he said, we did. We wanted to. He said, but see, Juan, what you have to understand is we knew what they were doing to us, to our people, but we couldn't do it to them. And I'd say, Harold, why not? And he'd say, because we were Americans and we were better than that. And so for, for me, uh, serving in the Marine Corps, very much recognized as being a very demanding military branch. I wanted to do it uh, because in America, uh, in order to be better than that, we had to contribute to preserving that. And I wanted to in the, in the, uh, in the Corps. Now, you got your graduate degrees, eventually your PhD, after you right, left the Marine right, Corps. Right. Was UCLA. that something that was part of a grand plan? No, or, or no. Did somebody inspire you to go back no. to school? My wife began her grad. I mean, you mentioned right, your brother. Right, right. Had, has had a very good career without continuing his education past. He didn't go finish college, right? Right, yeah. right. So I, I, how I did became, you end up getting a I became a, a teacher. I became a teacher, and I was teaching high school in California, in Los Angeles, in an area called Montebello, just outside of Los Angeles. My wife began her graduate program at UCLA. We had a dinner function. This is exactly the way it happened. We had a dinner function for my wife, new graduate students, uh, one of very few Hispanic women uh, in the Ph.D. program at UCLA in educational psychology. Uh, so we went to a dinner function at a friend's home uh, or at a professor's home in, in the uh, right close to UCLA. I took her. I was her plus one. 
And so at the time, somebody began a conversation with me, and they said, who are you here with? And I said, with her, and, and she's my wife. And they said, well, what do you do? And I said, oh, well, I'm a teacher. I teach high school. I taught high school English, ninth grade English. And they said, well, that's great. Have you ever thought about, I know the professor's name, I won't, I won't say specifically, because he became a member of my dissertation committee. But he said, oh, have you ever thought about graduate school? And I said, just like this, why in the world would I want to leave something of substance and become a fraudulent professor. So obviously, you know, he was a bit taken aback. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you're, you're trying to uh, te prepare teachers, right? You, you know, you talk about schooling, right? And, you're, and he goes, well, yes, that's what we do. I said, well, when you're talking about it tomorrow morning at 815, I'll be doing it. So why in the world would I want to abandon the doing part in order for the indulgent talking part that you do? So he persuaded me to apply to graduate school. He was my sponsor. That's a good interview question you handle there. You know, so why do you want to come to graduate school? Because I want to prove you're the fraud. Uh, yeah, that's right. He, he, uh, he was my professor, yeah. a friend, a mentor. And eventually he and others who heard me make those statements served on my dissertation committee. So, so be careful who you offend at, at a party. They might well, be I think it also so, shows strength of character as well. George Strait best day that's right so you said about some of the research that you uh, incorporated in your work where most of our sort of musical uh, uh, um, predilections are formed in our teens and 20s this is an example of how of, of one pivot that I've had in my life okay so the reason that George Strait is is uh, is important to me and this his music and this one in particular is because this to me uh, signals coming to Lubbock uh, this this song and this artist in particular uh, will always be for me uh, sort of the watermark as, that separates sort of my past before Lubbock and then and then uh, Lubbock and, and forward. Early uh, in my time, uh, this July will be ten years in, in Lubbock and Texas Tech and being at Texas Tech. And early in my time, a, a friend of mine who also works at the university said, hey, would you, would you and my wife, Sonida, uh, would you like to go to, to a concert to hear King George? So there's only one king, and it's not followed by George. All right, there's only one king. We covered him earlier. It's Elvis. So I said, what are you, who are you talking about? And they said, well, George, George Strait. I go, who's that? And they said, well, George Strait. And they told me, I said, well, no, I don't really listen to country music. It's not something I find interesting. Say, so, well, why don't you come? It'll be a packed house, United Spirit Arena, and we'll have a good time. And so we went. So uh, he sang this song. And this song, Best Days, is about a dad uh, going camping and uh, about a father and son and spending time together and the boy growing up and the best days of our life. And so having three boys, whenever we drive, I play this song and uh, it, it starts, we, lo we you know, loaded up the old station wagon and uh, goes on. And I grew up in a station wagon, an old Grand Torino station wagon. And I remember loading it up with uh, you know, coolers and blankets and that's how this song, this song begins and so when I first heard it it got my attention immediately because he talks about loading up this old station wagon a cooler a tent and uh, and I remember I have memories of uh, when we would go into Mexico and, and uh, in the station wagon it was a Grand Torino with that little rumble seat and so you would see everything from the rear view mirror and so immediately this song appealed to me and this artist and he has other songs about being a father 
career and, and raising your kids and and uh, and so I've grown to uh, admire him a great deal, and I have most of his music, and I enjoy it a great deal. But this song in particular, uh, the best days for me, the best days are being with my family, uh, my wife and my three sons, and being with uh, my extended family. Uh, it means a great deal to me, and this song, this song captures that idea and that, and that activity. We loaded up my old station wagon with a tent, a Coleman, and sleeping bags. Some fishing poles, a cooler of cokes Three days before we had to be back When you're seven, you're in seventh heaven When you're going camping in the wild outdoors As we turned off on that old dirt road He looked at me and swore Dad, this could be the best day of my life I've been dreaming day and night about the fun we'll have Just me and you doing what I've always wanted to I'm the luckiest boy alive This is the best day of my life And then I guess another slight pivot there, Johnny That's Cash, right. the man in black. That's uh, right. I wear black for the poor, the, the poor and the people Be, and who the beaten down. Beaten down. My scholarship early in my career had to do with creating access and opportunity for disadvantaged students, underprepared students. Much of my work here at Texas Tech has to do with creating access and opportunity for students that may have come from schools that didn't entirely prepare them, uh, the, from families that have limited income, for veterans that served and then want to return and uh, contribute to uh, society in a different capacity. And so uh, Johnny Cash is, a, is again, I, th I think, uh, in in that spirit of sort of resilience and he had great adversity uh, he had tremendous talent he was very much self-made and those kinds of you know Elvis falls into that category Sinatra falls into that category some of these rock and rollers fall into that category self-made men men who understood the requirement the sacrifice required of discipline and uh, I think George Straits falls into that category and Johnny Cash again uh, you know people seen his movie or uh, you know walk the line and they know him. Uh, he faced uh, great difficulty. His music was, was intended for the working class, for the blue collar. And uh, that's, the, that's a population that I feel a, a primary affinity to. And, and it's not the, the lifestyle that I live anymore, necessarily. Again, the men that I grew up with, that I saw, their idea of black tie meant a clean white T-shirt. They wear a wet t-shirt, it'd have a stain, little barbecue, little carne asada stain, no problem. But when it came time to dress up, they put on a clean white t-shirt. Johnny Cash wrote this song, you know, to, to say, the reason I have this outward appearance in dark clothing is because there is darkness and difficulty and, and adversity that others have to travail. And I wear this to remind those of you listening to this music that there are those that continue to face hardship and that we must work to lessen that hardship. Well, you wonder why I always dress in black Why you never see bright colors on my back And why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone Well, there's a reason for the things that I have on I wear the black for the poor and the beaten down Living in the hopeless, hungry side of town 
I wear it for the prisoner who has long paid for his crime, but is there because he's a victim of the time. I wear the black for those who've never read or listened to the words that Jesus said about the road to happiness through love and charity. Why you think he's talking straight to you and me? Well, we're doing mighty fine, I do suppose, in our streak of lightning cars and fancy clothes. But just so we're reminded of the ones who are held back, up front there ought to be a man in black. I wear it for the sick and lonely old. Jose Alfredo Jimenez, oh, the man El, right El Hillo del Pueblo. Oh, that's the man right there. You know, you weren't going to get away on the list of ten without having some some uh, ranchera or some Spanish music. Talk about ranchera. Well, uh, it, you know, it's, it's it's the music that we mostly associate with the mariachi. Uh, yeah, it, it, most people don't. I mean, in costume with uh, the, uh, mariachi. Mm-hmm. You know, the mariachi. Uh, the mariachi is a, is a unique sort of a confluence of of of, of Bavarian European influences. All of the, the 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 guitar. Uh, the, the the violin, the viola, el guitarón, the accordion. Mexicans didn't create, you know, Mexicans didn't innovate the accordion. Now, you talk to Flaco Jimenez in the valley and, and or you look at his, some of his music. Okay, we perfected the use of the, the quick accordion. But but mo- a lot of these musical instruments and genres were brought into, from, into, into Mexico from, you know, people uh, from Europeans, German, French influences. And, uh, and so the mariachi is, it comes from a French word that literally means wedding. And so that's how this sort of genre, th- this iconic musical genre uh, emerged in Mexico, which, you know, the, 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 the epistemology of mariachi is that these men who couldn't read music, uh, uh, note music, right? Committed to memory hundreds of songs, hundreds of chords, thousands of songs. And so uh, Jose Alfredo Jimenez, very famous uh, mariachi, wasn't the, great, wasn't the greatest vocalist, but considered one of the best uh, lyricists uh, writing music, uh, like in the tradition of Agustin Lara. And this song, El Hijo del Pueblo, means uh, the son of the town, would be the literal translation. And it's a song about saying, I'm proud to be from this town, from this neighborhood, from this people, and not the falsehoods and pretenses of the wealthy. Es mi orgullo ser nacido en el barrio más humilde. It's my pride to have been born in the poorest of poor communities. That's where I was born, and I'm proud of it. Es mi orgullo haber nacido En el barrio más humilde Alejado del bullicio De la falsa sociedad Yo no tuve la desgracia De no ser hijo del pueblo Yo me cuento entre la gente Que no tiene falsedad Mi destino es muy parejo, yo lo quiero como venga Soportando una tristeza o detrás de una ilusión 
Voy camino de la vida Muy feliz con mi pobreza Como no tengo dinero Tengo mucho corazón Your last song is Will the Wolf Survive by Los Lobos. That's right. Another band from East L.A. Does any language have more of that, about analysis of what words mean that mean something more to you because of your Mexicano background? I suppose um, that that observation has been brought to my attention uh, periodically. For me, it's it's something that happens very organically. I'm probably better at it at, at this age than I was even 10, 15, 20 years ago. I don't think you can ever sort of run from who you are. It's, it's, it's impossible to escape yourself. I believe that the sooner you embrace your humanity and all of its imperfections and all of its wonderful possibilities, the happier you'll be. And so I've, I've known people who have tried to sort of retreat from their origins and, and have tried to excuse their poverty. I remember buying food with food stamps, not like the nice credit cards they use today. You used to have a booklet. Right? When you're poor, you got a booklet of food stamps. So I remember my mom pulling out of that coupon booklet and had perforated edges and tearing out a dollar to give me. And I remember taking that dollar to this market trying to buy a comic book because it was my mind that was, uh, that was you know, impo- sort of hungry. It wasn't, you know, my stomach. And I remember them getting on the microphone and calling out, can we use a food stamp for a comic book? Because you could use it for dairy products, cheese. All right. It was my imagination that, uh, that was emaciated. When you grow up like that, you feel inferior. You feel dejected. You feel like somehow it's your fault. This song, you know, is obviously a song of survival. You know, will the wolf survive? Will these guys make it? Will we continue to be who we are, uh, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in? I think the greatest strength is to remain who you are, regardless of the circumstances. And we pivot as necessary to a Sinatra, to a George Strait, uh, but we, we, we never forget because we can never ultimately escape who we are. Well, thank you very much, Juan. It's uh, been very educational for me for you to be here. Thank you for having me.